Hello, and welcome to Dad-Daughter Dialogues, an opportunity to lift up me and my dad's relationship through discussion about politics, current events, and whatever else we can think of. We hope this will inspire you to share and chat more with your dad, be it your biological father, grandfather, stepfather, like a father, or any other variation. I am your co-host, Aisha DeBerry, and I am here with my mostly serious, but sometimes comical, co-host, my dad, Roy DeBerry. Here, here, and I'm glad you put in that comical part. I didn't realize I was a comedian, but, you know, during these days of, of uh, the political stuff, I think it'll make you a comedian. But it's, it's all, yeah, it's great to be back. Uh, we got a number of issues today. Uh, we're going to talk about particularly legal stuff, and I think you could bring some some light on that, and then we'll discuss typical stuff that we normally discuss, including the holidays coming up, and we certainly going to wish people that uh, uh, have uh, safe holidays. And then of course we'll close out again with Georgia because Georgia has a very important election coming up in January. Yes. And we hope the Georgians will get out and vote. There's this tremendous fundraising going on. And I'm hoping that uh, you know people don't allow the fundraiser to keep them from doing what they need to do, which is to get out and vote. Absolutely, absolutely. And we are wearing our merch, so let's get started. Um, Dad, before we, you know, get into everything that you just mentioned, I just wanted to hear about what happened today, all the stuff that you're going on. Just so you all know, Dad's a celebrity, okay? So I'm the last, last in line uh, to talk to him today. So what did you, you know, do today? Aisha always, Aisha always, <laughs> always says that I'm a celebrity. Yep. But, but uh, I did say to her on one of our podcasts that uh, one of the deans here that used to be a dean of a law school in her place in Nashville, in Knoxville, Knoxville. but also was a, a not, right, but also was a dean of the University of Mississippi Law School. He and his wife tuned in and they both said that uh, this seemed to be uh, first nature for Aisha, given the fact that uh, she probably could do much better than some of those talking heads on some of the, uh, <laughs> the talk shows. So if anybody, a celebrity, she's a celebrity. I'm just trying to tag along. <laughs> well, I, the reason why I'm saying it, Dad, is you were on a webinar today with your alum, your, I shouldn't say your alum, your school that you graduated from, that you are an alum of Brandeis, and I believe it was the Alumni of Color or something of the like. What were you all talking about today? Well, it was the Alumni of Color that put on the event, but it was in conjunction with the Alumni Association from Brandeis University. Okay. And of course, we had people from all over the country, which was a good thing. We, we talked about our book again, Voices from the Mississippi Hill Country. And we had a chance to share with them for people that may not be aware of the book. So we had a chance to tell them about the book. We had a chance to tell them about the fact that the book is currently on sale mm -hmm. at the University Press of Mississippi for $21 for both the hard copy and the soft copy until December the 15th. And then we also had a chance to share with them the independently published ebook mm -hmm. that we did that came out also in July of 2020, and that's on Apple. And so we had a chance to tell them about that as well. But for the most part, we talked about the book, Aviva and I did. We're both alums of Brandeis, and we talked about our experience getting to know each other, working during the 60s in the civil rights movement, 
staying in contact with each other over the years, and then decided to start this nonprofit that we started uh, many, many years ago. And the, as you know from previous sessions, we did interview over 25 years. And then mm -hmm. after that, we've also done some clips and uh, we've done some short documentaries. And hopefully in the future, starting in 21, we're gonna do a full length documentary. So we talked a little bit about that as well. But for the most part, we talked about the book and yeah. we talked about these compelling stories of people that are featured in the book. And you and I were just talking before we started the live broadcast about Miss Evelyn Robinson. We talked about Miss Sarah Robinson earlier with respect to voting. Mm -hmm. But Miss Evelyn Robinson was 102 when we interviewed her. And she was able to talk first person about sitting in her grandmother's room and listen to her talk about stories she was telling from the time that she had been enslaved. And we would just say how close we are. We mm -hmm. think we're a long ways from that period of enslavement and degradation and people being treated as commodities. But in many ways, uh, we're, we're so close. I mean, just a generation or two away. Yeah. And just to get these first person stories. And she was not the first one. There were others that we interviewed that was a hundred plus years of age that recounted similar stories as well. So yeah, today was really a focus on the book, yeah. Voices from the Mississippi Hill Country, a story of the civil rights movement in Benton County, Mississippi. Yeah. And to introduce the book to those who have not heard about it, not seen it, but not read it. And that was an opportunity to do that for a national audience. Yeah, and you know, also give me a chance to sell the book. Right, right. I was just gonna say it's in your background there. So if you all are watching it, you can zoom into the right of Deb by that lampshade. Sorry for those that are listening on the podcast. The book is right there. So it is holiday season. Whether they purchase the book that the Apple book can be purchased on Apple, you know, with mm -hmm. Apple phone and iPad. Yeah, and that book is twenty nine dollars, and the hard copy which I just mentioned is on sale now until December the 15th okay. and the paperback, the same price. And that can be purchased through the University Press of Mississippi. Okay. And that's their website. Or they can go directly to our website, which is www.hillcountryproject.org. And they can go to book and they'll see a description of the book, some of the blurbs that's been written about the book and the fact that it's a sale on the book for $21. It'll make a great gift for the holidays too, by the way. Absolutely. So Tiffany, if you are listening, I was just telling you, Dad, that um, my friend Tiffany and a colleague of hers are starting a independent school in 2021 that they are developing culturally responsive curriculum. And I think this book would be a great addition. So I'm just putting a shout out there for the book to you, Tiffany, if you're listening. But of course, to everyone else, even if you're not starting school, I've been reading. I'm almost done. And it's just, I can say from my perspective, it's the first time that I've read a story that I felt so attached to, um, primarily because these are Mississippians, but also because, of course, I know that you wrote it. But um, it felt very real. The stories felt very close in proximity. And it's so interesting because even though a lot of those stories were clearly before I was born, I see some of that same, what could I say, um, the fragileness of democracy even now. Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the things that one of our editors pointed out today on the webinar was this notion that if we look at the times now, Black Lives Matter and other things that's facing the country, and then we go back, you know, many, many years and we see what those people faced 
in many ways, it's deja vu. Mm -hmm. you know, the more things change, the more they remain the same. Now, we know a lot of change has occurred, but we also know that in a democratic republic, when we make steps forward, we've also made steps backwards. And it's been, right. it's, on, it's been a part of local people like these people that's pushed the envelope because right. they were unwilling to accept the status quo. They were unwilling to accept their conditions. And I think the same thing could be said about people now, whether it's the people that in poor public school systems or people in housing that's not up to standard or people that can't find jobs. Those kinds of things are still with us. The wealth, mm -hmm. yeah, those things are still with us. It was very clear when we talked to them about sharecropping, people making $2 a day, right, for working all day. And yeah. now people making many, many years later still making $7.50 an hour. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're still living in poverty and they're still in debt. And so if you're in debt, that's a kind of slavery, right? Mm -hmm. Because that means you're still controlled. So there are a lot of things that have changed, but there are a lot of things that are still the same. And it's important for people to be able to understand that in order to understand moving forward. One of the other things that came out today in this discussion about the book was in terms of resources for the school. You just mentioned is a beautiful resource for the school, but beyond the school, the book is written in such a way that the average person can understand it. Yeah. And we wanted to get at truth. We wanted mm -hmm. these people to tell their own stories. So, so we stayed out of the way, right? Yeah. You don't see a lot of commentary in this book. This book is really for us to step back and let these people tell their own stories. Yeah. And we think while the message may be local, it has international, it has universal consequences because yes. anywhere in the world if you talk to local people uh, they can share similar stories going back maybe 100 years 50 years 75 years and even today yeah. uh, and frankly they're not and we said about that before there are not that many books that I've been able to put my hands on I've read a lot of books right yeah because of secondary sources where you can go and find primary sources Right. You know, it's right. The books are about most time is secondary sources. You go to libraries, you read books that other people have written. Mm -hmm. You go and look at documents other people have written. You look at journals that other people have written. But it's something refreshing about going and interviewing these people and getting their firsthand stories about all these themes that cover the waterfront in America and the world, really. Yeah. You know, another piece as you were talking and as I've been reading the book and I wish I had it in front of me to kind of reference, but I'm packing up some stuff around here. But, you know, I talk about in the work that I do every day about having courageous conversations and being courageous. And I get some uh, it's not backlash or, or a defensive statements, but it's, it's one of those things where people make it seem like if you say something, nothing will happen. Almost like a pessimistic outlook. But when I go back to this book, I reference and think about all of the things that this quote unquote small town, poor town did. And a lot of it was just one small step. It wasn't a major game changing thing that they thought was going to happen. It was more like a, for example, a Sarah Robinson saying, I'm not going to give up whether each time they deny me the chance to vote, I'm just not going to stop. And so just that act was such a large act that she probably didn't think at the time was. And so I, I'd like to use that as a reference for when people say you can't really change anything or I feel hopeless or what is this really going to do? Um, Sometimes it's just taking the act and the act can be really small in your mind and not give up, but it has large implications. 
when you oh, have absolutely. a community that decides to do oh, that too. No question about that. There's this woman you mentioned, Ms. Robinson, there's another lady who went to try to vote 13 times mm-hmm. and 13 times she was denied, right? In yeah. addition to being denied the 13 times, they also would print her name in the local right. newspaper. Right. And the reason for that, and we have a picture of that in the book, the reason for that is that's a, that's a kind of intimidation. Mm-hmm. As saying, you know, if you work as a maid or if you work on somebody's place as a sharecropper, that means with your name being published, while it may have been a private event, it becomes a public event. Mm-hmm. And yet, knowing that, this woman still, as you pointed out, courage, showed the courage to go back again and again until she uh, was able to, to get registered. Right. Right. That's like making a step. And that's courage. Right. Something that's so sadly missing in much of our society today, particularly among our so-called political leaders. Yes. Uh, this notion of profiling courage that, that John Kennedy wrote many years ago. <laughs> right. Where is it? Where right. is it profiling courage now? And I'm sure it's out there. And I'm sure there are people doing this. But to read this book, you see concrete examples of it manifested mm-hmm. by just plain local people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I definitely use it as a reference. I think about it often. Um, so hopefully that gives people hope too and when they at times feel hopeless with what's going on. Speaking of which, to transition into <laughs> what's going on in Texas, the opposite of courage. Um, I don't even know what it is besides ridiculousness that occurred in Texas. And quite honestly, I'm disappointed in the attorney general from Mississippi who joined along with this and by the way she, if if i if if my information is correct i think she's from holly springs so but I, i'm not gonna claim that uh, <laughs> sorry uh, holly springs uh she's been a treasurer and then now she's uh, a general and it, it's just sad but you go ahead yeah i mean for those that are have not been reading the news or needed a break from the news there was a last attempt by the trump I'll say Trump and the Trump administration for sake of conversation and not just say Trump, that this last hurrah, if you will, to bring a lawsuit forth to basically say, um, and it was brought before the Supreme Court to basically halt the votes for the states, Georgia, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, which were all swing states, if you will, to basically stop those votes and to stop that count altogether, discount the votes that happen, and then thereby go to the legislature or the Congress, I'm sorry, and have them decide who, where those electoral votes and how they will go. So basically disbanding the whole electoral process and also the democratic process of honoring the count of those certified votes, which are millions of votes when you think about it collectively across those four states. So that was a lawsuit that was brought forward. And thankfully, the Supreme Court in a matter, I think of 35 minutes or so basically said there was no standing. This is ridiculous. We cannot, and, and it, for those that are law folks or went to law school, you know, it speaks to Article 3 that basically gives supremacy to the Supreme Court to see how to bring a case forward. And if you have a viable case, there must be standing. And in this case, there's not. And also, when we talk about the sovereignty of states, how is it that Texas would have the right to go over and say, California, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia, 
you all know you get you need to throw away your, their votes, which is so ironic to me because many a times, not all Republicans, but many Republicans, pseudo conservative, say that we should have individual rights as states. However, in this particular argument, now we're saying a state can say no. Uh, you state cannot do what we want you to do or what you all have decided to do legally. Now, in general, yes, there are some states that go into lawsuit or go into court against each other. But generally, that's dealing with land rights, water, things of that sort. We're not talking about more of this democratic process of, of voting. So that was the result in a long, uh, short. If I, no, I think that's very, I think it's very, uh, that's a teachable moment. Uh, yeah. And I'm glad to hear you do that because I think it's important for people to get the facts, although there are people out there who apparently don't see this pretty much time worried about the facts. Right. But then in addition to the standing issue, and, and I don't pretend to be a lawyer, except part-time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in addition to the issue of standing, what about this notion of harm? I mean, here you have Texas, right. and you have votes taking place in uh, Georgia and Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin. How is, how is Texas harm about what happens in these states? I, I'm trying to figure that one out. Is that, is I have that, no idea. I can't even try to, I have no clue. Uh, outside of, what's his name? The Attorney General Paxton, what's Paxton. his name? Paxton. Paxton. Outside of him being harmed or the fact that he might end up in a situation a after Trump is gone. <laughs> <laughs> because, well, yeah, exactly right. Because if, if he got harmed, he's indicted. He's up against something, maybe right. to pardon him. <laughs> right, because we know that this is, well, we don't know. I, I think it's all a political move, right? Because we know that Texas, if, you, if anyone's listening from Texas, you know your attorney general. He has a couple of scandalous sexual assault cases, some um, bribery stuff going on when he first got into office. So I'm sure he's made a deal you know, with the devil, if you will. <laughs> so that's probably the only harm I can think of. Okay, um, I, I, I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting answer. But, but how do you explain how these 100 plus Congress people, yeah. uh, again, back to the issue of showing some courage, how do you see how they line up? I know this, these turkeys in Mississippi line up because Trump obviously is, is a cult leader. Yeah. But, but you're talking about people from all over the place, California and everywhere else that lined up to be party to this silliness. I just don't understand it because it, it it baffles me, especially because these Republicans, if we talk about throwing out all those votes, then you're on the line as losing your seat. There could be that possibility. So why would you want that all those votes to be thrown away? Because most likely that may be a reflection back on you. And it's possible that you could lose that seat. Maybe not, but you're really taking a, a chance by even thinking to do that. Another thing that I thought about too was while I knew that it wasn't going to go forward with the Supreme Court, it really seems quite cancerous that this is, is happening. It almost seems like cancer is starting to come into the democratic process slowly because so many, I mean, it was more than half of the Republicans that went with this. Um, and so that's very discouraging. I, I don't really understand why so many. Well, one of the things that seems to me, and this is not a legal uh, thing, this is just a political thing, uh, and there are other people that have spoken to this, is really power over the, over the so-called democracy or power over 
of the Democratic Republic or power over patriotism or, mm -hmm. you know, because one of the things that I learned in political science or even when I was a high school student was that with respect to electoral politics, one of the first things that a politician wants to do is to get reelected. Mm -hmm. So back to your point about self-interest, if you pursue this ridiculous case, which had no standing, nobody was harmed, but even the point that you just made, it also had implication for you being knocked out of your seat. So mm -hmm. why would you want to go against the very thing that you really are there for, which is get reelected? And right. you certainly don't want to be thrown out after you have been elected. So to me, it just borders on, as you said earlier, it's so ridiculous that it's hard to use logic to explain some of this stuff. As I say, I didn't go to law school, but I would understand that even those conservative justices on the court that Trump sort of figured he had handpicked. Yeah. I, if I were in their shoes, I would have to say, you know, what's this, what is this stuff? Right. Like a fly, give me a fly squatter, squat this stuff. <laughs> right. To me, it would be an embarrassment, even for a conservative court to want to deal with this because you're throwing out all kinds of presidents, all kinds of tradition, what they stand for. Right, right. And just the basic law. Uh, right. So, uh, and then other, some people say, well, it wasn't a clear majority. It was a clear majority. Because it seems to me only two, and those are not those were not Trump appointees, said, you know, we might consider you introducing it so we can hear it, but right. we have no intention of doing anything on the merit because there's no merit. Yeah. And I mean, I think it goes back to, you know, Trump does does media well and he does well with keeping things hot and relevant and spicy and 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 in the front and center. Yeah. So I definitely see it as a political stunt at the cost of, you know, Texas taxpayers, because it's keeping it it's keeping this stuff relevant. You know, it's keeping everyone up and hype about it. It's keeping us like what we're doing now, talking about it. When have we are in my lifetime? When have we after it has been announced? Who will be the president? Have we spent time after, weeks after the um, announcement, still trying to certify if that's the truth? And so Trump, if he has done nothing else, he has no. stayed in the Reality picture. Reality TV. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. We started off with reality TV. We end up with reality TV, right? Mm -hmm. So this is reality TV at its peak in terms of being on steroids, right? Absolutely. That's. I mean, that's just how I see it. And I... For whatever reason, these attorney generals, which I am attorneys general, which I'm very disappointed in, I, I honestly feel like they were going to get something out of this deal. It just doesn't make sense. It, From a legal it, standpoint, it seems to me, and I'm not a lawyer again, but aren't they all to be uh, sanctioned? I mean, right. you know, in terms of the bar, I mean, aren't there certain ethical principles that you yeah. follow going for seizure uh, that you should not, uh, and if you do break those procedures, Shouldn't you be sanctioned at the very least? Uh, yeah. Because it's very clear that some of these law again, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, right? Yeah. But some of these things from a labor standpoint are so frivolous. Right. That if I walked in the courtroom, first of all, I'd be laughed at. <laughs> you know, if I tried to present this kind of crap. And at the very least, I would be probably thrown out. Right. You know, literally get out of this courtroom with this crap. Right. Because you're about right. to please my courtroom. Yet these guys walk away, Julian and all of them walk away, making a lot of money, of course. Yes. But he's basing the whole notion of law. It seems to me there ought to be a bunch of lawyers out there. And I guess there are some that have sent letters, you know, saying that yes. some action ought to be taken. The same thing with this guy named Alan something that used to be a, a congressman from Florida, mm -hmm. who's now head of the Republican Party in Texas. And I need to talk to Ann about, I mean, I know Texas has always been that long star state that said they want to be its own republic, right? Right, right. It's on the flag. 
but when you talk about what he was saying, that they all seriously think about withdrawing from the union. I mean, it seems to me that's insurrection. We we, we could go back to 1861, right? But <laughs> met just down there in Jackson to say we're going to secede from the union, and we end up having one of the nastiest civil wars in the history of the, of the world. Right. Because of the people killed. So on one hand, while this stuff seemed laughable, the damage that it's doing to a so-called republic is, to right. me, what you said earlier, is really incredible. And there are a lot of people out there, because 70 plus million people voted for Trump. Absolutely. Right, and there are Absolutely. a lot of people out there still supporting this madness that he's doing. Yeah, right. So this stuff is not to be taken lightly at all. Absolutely. Uh, and every effort should be made to try to educate as many people we can and try to get at trying to understand what motivates these people to follow uh, a con artist and a sham and a cup leader. Yeah. Because there's really no Republican Party anymore. Right. It's all Trump. Right. And that's, I mean, that's, like you said, what I'm getting at in terms of this kind of cancer analogy, if we don't begin to kind of cut it at the root, I mean, it will keep seeding through. It, this is not, to your point, this is not just a joke. This wasn't just 20 Republicans signing on or one attorney's general or two attorneys general signing on. I mean, we talk about 14 plus AGs and 100 plus Congress people. So that is speaking to, okay, let's be clear. A lot of these states and are, you know, are wearing, I use the analogy, are wearing blue sweaters, but they have on red underwear, red shirts, red socks, you know, um, very red. And so we have to, not that anything's wrong with red, but when I talk about red, I'm using the analogy of red equals Trump for this discussion. We have to be still very cognizant that um, this democracy, in my view right now, is fragile. And what can we do to begin to balance that out again and get back to that, the true essence of what this, what democracy was or how it was thought to be created. So... Yeah, good point. Yeah. Just a profound point on this issue. And that's uh, going back to the Congress people again that took an oath to, you know, support the Constitution and I guess all of the amendments as well and support this kind of government. And yet, mm -hmm. if they go out there and do what they have done, come January, I know this may seem extreme, but it seems to me the Speaker should have some say about whether or not some of these people are seated. Yeah. I'm not saying she's going to go that route, but just like with those lawyers out there who do these frivolous lawsuits, there ought to be some accountability. Yeah. It's the same thing that people that take the oath to the Constitution to support and protect and yet do the opposite with right. respect to going against the whole grain of what the Constitution says. Or right. in the case of Trump referring to the court, you know, as if it's some, like with Barr, how could I say it? I mean, my attorney general, like the court is his court. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 I want to do. yeah, I heard this on the um, Karen Hunter and Greg Card. They're sad. They have a Saturday class, and and Dr. Greg Card brought this up. And maybe Karen, I cannot remember, but really, we have to begin treating our legislators and our our civic leaders as employees of us. We, we need to stop treating them like celebrities and these people that we can't touch anymore. There's no more time for that. We really have to begin to demand right. what we want. To your point, like you said that, you know, before I hadn't really thought about, okay, how do we hold the AG accountable? 
But now that needs to be a conversation. How, how do we begin to hold these employees? We are the employer as the people of the United States. How do we hold these folks accountable? I agree. And, and they work for us. Mm-hmm. And like it's the opposite. You're absolutely right. I mean, Mitch McConnell, one man, why should one man, when people out there got COVID-19, there are people out there that can't get access to ICU because right. the hospital in Mississippi don't have any more beds. How can one man and people about to go off on unemployment coming in at December says, I'm going to hold up even a compromise that's put together by his team. Right. And he just single-handedly says, this thing going to move forward. You're talking about that's too much power. Mm-hmm. for one man in any place to have and you have people dying by the thousand every day and yeah. you got these jokers talking about really nothing that's of value to the average person in america yeah other than just to hold on to power right right so accountability we as again back to the civic piece mm-hmm. we have applicated and i say we i'm speaking for myself now mm-hmm. it seems to me a lot of us have applicated our responsibility by not engaging in this process yeah. and making sure that we demand accountability from the people we elect to office. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. like we just did a piece on this guy from Florida who did something ridiculous and the newspaper there decided they had endorsed him earlier. Yeah. After the fact that he did this ridiculous thing with the court, they unendorsed him if, as if to say, how can you do that? But they are sorry now that they endorsed it. Well, it seems to me if they had known something about his track record in the first place, why did right. he endorse him in the first place rather than wait until he does something stupid like he's done to say, you know, we wish we had endorsed him? Right. We got, Absolutely. To, we got to hold these people accountable up front. Absolutely. Every little step, even if, even if it's just sending an email to something that you see is being done wrong, it doesn't mean you have to be on a mic or, you know, some large horn in the street. You can literally send an email or give a call or send a tweet and say, this doesn't seem right. Or I just want to call this out because th- I'm observing something and this doesn't feel right. Something, anything. But yeah, let's let's close this year out. We're doing taking an action step. You know, if you see something, say something. You know how they say with the police officers, if you see something, say something. Dedicate yourself maybe to doing that in the new year as we close out 2020. So yeah. But dad, I you know, speaking of Brandeis, because we talked about you talking earlier, Brandeis, you know, Brandeis, if I'm correct, is more so we have more Jewish students there. Am I correct on that? Well, you know, it was a non-sectarian school. Yeah. Uh, it, it has always been, been predominantly Jewish, but in recent years, with the inclusion of Asians and other non-Jewish students, it's got closer to 50%. I don't know what the percentage is now because Brandeis is leaving quotas because it's a non-sectarian yeah. uh, uh, school, but there is no question that it celebrates its Jewish tradition. And there's nothing wrong with that. As I've advocated, there's nothing wrong with Black people and other yes. people celebrating their tradition as long as you don't do harm to anybody else. Well, where I was going with this, happy Hanukkah to my Jewish friends. <laughs> Whether they're not, maybe there's not as many Jewish students at Brandeis, but I was trying to segue because December 10th started Hanukkah. So we wanted to give. That's right. We know that those, that, that those very, uh, you know, it's part of tradition about those very courageous Jewish people that was able to uh, conquer and take over from the uh, Greeks and the Assyrians. So yes. you know, part of that history is about courage. A yes. lot of courage. So feel free to invite us over. We we celebrate Hanukkah. I listen. I, I'm I'm down for all of the holidays. So happy Hanukkah 
to all of our Jewish friends and loved ones, both far I was and days. I love the holidays because we got more than <laughs> other schools. You know, we, got off, we got off for the Jewish holidays, we got off for the Christian okay. holidays, and we got off for New Year. So we had a lot of holidays. <laughs> Thank you, Jewish people. Thank you. Yes. Um, well, you know, of course, we celebrate Christmas. And, you know, for people that don't know, that is dad's favorite holiday i i mean i'm more so like thanksgiving i'm a thanksgiving person because i just like food yeah i like the gathering and not the pressure of getting gifts and going to shop but dad is the total opposite he loves christmas so tell me about you know tell us all about why well it's really part of the tradition uh did it with my parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and it you know it was not commercial like it is now yeah. And it wasn't about how much a gift cost or that you had to give a gift. It was about family love and the family closeness and getting together. A lot of people who grew up in an agrarian society, as I did, Christmas was an opportunity for people to save a little something. Yeah. And then they could share that at, at, uh, at Christmas time with their children and uh, grandchildren and with each other. So it really was based on giving out of your, from your heart and sharing and cooking and meeting up together. And yeah. It was not nearly commercial. I don't like the commercial part even now, even though I do go out and buy a few gifts. But I like the idea of giving. And I, I enjoy giving more than I do receiving, right? When it comes yeah. to Christmas. I get the joy of going out and doing things, wrapping the presents and mm-hmm. giving it to somebody and seeing the joy on the face. And yeah, I mean, it started with me early. And, you know, even though there was a religious component to it, yeah, I think the love part, the family part, and the sharing was more important. Uh, for me than all the commercial stuff that you have going now. So yeah. really it was about love and family. Yeah, I remember, you know, mm-hmm. growing up, we would go, so I would go to mom's side of family many times towards it as mama got older and um, uh, which is my mom's mother, we would go or more celebrate for Thanksgiving or they would come here to Atlanta. And then for Christmas, I've always remember, you know, going to big mama and big daddy's house <clears throat> for Christmas in this, what was it? Two bedroom, maybe three bedroom? Three bedrooms. Three bedroom house. And it would be about 35 of my first cousins, 20 of my second cousins, all my aunts, uncles, their wives and spouses, friends, neighbors, everybody. Like you said, at at least 80 people trying to fit in this three bedroom house. And Big Mama would have everybody a gift every single person now it might be a pair of socks underwear five dollars a card something but every single person got a gift and then, you know it's, it's just you mentioned that because right we look forward to that and my my mother unlike me she remembered every she had about 42 grandchildren right mm-hmm. and she remembered every one of their names yes and she also remembered every one of their birthdays. Mm-hmm. And like you say, she would, she would give a gift to every one of them uh, at Christmas time. And yeah, it just uh, being in that environment um, uh, was just, just a, such a rich experience. Yes. And the love that was shown by both my mother and my father. And like you said, it was a chance for, for the cousins to come together. Mm-hmm. It was a family reunion before a family reunion, right? Because the family right. reunions usually happen in, uh, in the summertime. Yeah. But during Christmas time at my house, my mother's house, which was a gathering place uh, for everybody. Yes. Uh, it was a family reunion. And as you say, uh, with your grandmother on your on your mama's side, Thanksgiving was yeah. a big time when you mm-hmm. went to Georgia or they came to our house in Oxford and we celebrated for Thanksgiving. Yeah. But yeah, Christmas, I like Christmas, I like Thanksgiving, 
the food is fine, but you know, I'm not a big, big food person. So yeah, the Christmas thing know. was was always, uh, was always <laughs> uh, for me. Yeah, I just, there's so many memories. And even now, you know, Aunt Mary, she still keeps that up. Um, one of my aunts, my, my dad's sister, with, you know, making sure people get cards or gifts as much as she can. But I really do miss going to Holly Springs and just hanging out and Aunt Elnora making pound cake and Aunt Doris making sweet potato pie and Aunt Penny making tea cakes and just all of those things I remember vividly. They'll, they'll never, they'll always be in my heart. They'll never go away. And just being able to see my cousins and wearing red and us talking about what we got for Christmas and showing off our new outfit or times of telling me about the new pair of shoes she got or whatever it was, you know, um, just sitting around and hearing stories and Uncle Ronald and all the uncles in the back drinking beer and keeping the door open and, you know, Big Mama telling us to close the door and keep the heat in. And, <laughs> I mean, I could just go on and on and on. And I just, I miss, I do sincerely miss those times a lot. Yeah. And people parking and you can't get out because all the cars are up and down the street and who left their car? Somebody left their lights on and let me go down to the corner and get some more beer. And it's just... <laughs> Yeah, just yeah. really and good And you know, time. the thing about that, and all those gatherings, and I think that had a lot to do with my dad and mom, yeah. there was never a fight. Uh, first now of all, it gets loud. It gets loud. Yeah, they got plenty loud, <laughs> but there was never a fight. They got plenty loud because they knew out of respect for my dad and out of respect for my mom, first of all, it wouldn't be tolerated. And mm -hmm. secondly, they knew not to do that. But you're absolutely right about those large uh a large get together and, and, and they are missed. Uh, they are missed primarily because it was a way for you to get to know a lot about family, a lot about history, a lot about how to live, how not to live, a sense mm -hmm. of justice, not justice, uh, what's right, what's wrong, uh, religion, whatever. You couldn't necessarily get that in a book. Yeah. And so that was sort of all tradition been passed down to you. Yeah, and I, you know, I, um, you know, just thinking about it, and I didn't even think I was gonna reflect on it this much as even though there was a place, you know, there was a, <laughs> well, there's many talks about how the children should have had a place, us new, the millennial and Gen Xers should have been like the, the ones before us going to the back of the room. But because we didn't have that growing up, everyone had a voice. They had to learn how to defend themselves um, or speak on the reason why, because we all the cousins would call you out. If they didn't agree, they'll let you know they didn't agree. Right. And so um, I think, because I, I remember Aunt Beauty saying this to me, she said, oh, you know, when you went to law school, I thought, I don't know how you just going to make it in law school. And then I thought <laughs> about all the D-berries and I thought, oh no, she'll be all right. Because <laughs> it, it was funny. I, I, I don't know if she knows that, but I'll have to remind her. And, and it did feel that way. I felt like I could always defend myself. I don't ever feel like I can't defend myself. And I think a lot of that came from being at Big Mama's house in those big gatherings. And you have you have to find your own, like, because nobody's going to support you. <laughs> so, sometimes somebody will give you a little grace, but if they don't agree with you, they'll let you know. But also it was love. It wasn't, you know, like a hateful disagreement, but everyone has a stance. Everyone, everyone in that group, I can say in terms of the cousins that I know very closely have an opinion. So, um, and that's, that's, that's just interesting to me to see, even as the kids are growing up now to see how they have an opinion. There's no question about yeah. that. We never left there without an opinion. <laughs> and, and they never, 
they never uh, was hesitant about sharing the opinion. Mm-mm. And but no. that's, that's exactly true. So you did have to find your own level. Yes. Uh, I'll be laughed out the room. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it was a sink or swim. So, and, and maybe some of it's tough love and then others, and not everyone was like that. We have some that are more, you know, quiet and reserved, but even still those that are that way still have an opinion and are very vocal about it, be it whatever way it goes. So again, I miss those times, but I know that's probably a a part of the reason why you enjoy Christmas too. Well, at least that's why I do. Right. Thinking about those memories. And now just, you know, you mentioned Kwanzaa. We're not going to get uh, into a lot of details, but we know basically that Kwanzaa is coming up soon as well. Yes. That's a celebration that came about basically in the 60s with with Ron Coringa. Mm-hmm. And this notion for Black people needed to find a time when they could celebrate and have a day that was separate from both uh, Hanukkah and from Christmas. Yeah. Uh, that, that was part of what they we considered their condition. Yeah. And certain standards, and most people are familiar with those standards, so we don't necessarily have to repeat them here today. But again, happy Kwanzaa coming yes. up. Yes. Happy Kwanzaa, which will be December 26th through January 1st, for those that don't know anything about Kwanzaa. And if you don't, Google it. Just uh, Google about Hanukkah as well. Um, I think it's important that we know that there's other holidays out there besides Christmas. I celebrate Kwanzaa, really started celebrating it later in life. Um, Just wanting to acknowledge, and I I enjoy the principles because the principles kind of lead me up into the new year so that my mind is kind of focused on what I want to accomplish in the new year. But it also speaks to like what you were saying, that giving, being responsible for community, supporting your local community. So I like to do all of those exercises as I close out, close out the year. So if you don't know much about Kwanzaa, I always post it on my Facebook, but also, you know, Google it for yourself and see if you'd like to practice it too. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Dad, the last the last piece is like Tupac said, all eyes on me. If y'all are from the Tupac era from California, all eyes are on Georgia. As we close out with these last two possible uh possible blue US senators. So that's mom in the background, guys, for those that are listening. But as we close it out. Early voting for us starts tomorrow, December 14th, all the way to January 1st. And then the actual day of voting is January 5th. And when I tell you they have been knocking on my door three times a day, every day, asking me (laughs) who I'm going to vote for. It is serious business here in Georgia. Trust and believe. Well, I like that because I like that grassroots push uh, Mm -hmm. that we talked about in previous podcasts. There's no question that Georgia is in play. We'll determine what happens with the Senate one way or the other. Yes. And the people in Georgia will make this decision. It shouldn't be left up to Trump. It shouldn't be left up to the Republican Party, Democratic Party, what have you. They can all push. But at the end of the day, it's going to be left up to those local people there. Yes. In your state. Who yes. think it's important enough to get <sighs> out there and elect their representative that they're going to speak to them. Yes. And not to some special interest or not to whatever. So Georgia, go ahead and do that. We talked about the fact that you already have the infrastructure in place because Stacey Abrams and others have showed you how to do it. And that is to make sure that all people are represented in Georgia. The rural areas, the urban areas, black folk, white folk, you know, Hispanic folk, Asian people, gay, straight, everybody, church people, non-church people, everybody needs to be represented in Georgia. And the way to do that 
is to go out there and start to change this paradigm. Yes. So we, you know, we talked about the silliness earlier, but Georgia has a, a chance now to sort of reverse that and move people back towards the middle, more back towards what we consider to be a democratic republic where people believe in laws, believe in facts, believe in the constitution, believe in democracy slash democratic republic, mm -hmm. and not in some kind of cult leader or cult leaders who have this alternate reality, right? They yeah. don't accept facts as facts. My thing, and, I, and I, I cry about that sometimes, is how, you know, if we couldn't save all the people that have died from COVID, yeah. We couldn't save all the people that have gotten affected by COVID. But if we had just shown leadership and compassion and did some things based on facts from day one, how different this picture would look like in December of 2020. Yeah. It wouldn't be looking like almost 300,000 people dead and so many more infected in our country and across this world. So we ought to learn, if we anything, we ought to learn from this very tragic thing that we had some control over and as a people advocated the responsibility just to help save those people. Yeah. I think that ought to be on all our conscience as we move forward to say, you know, people always say, well, we're gonna make sure this doesn't happen again. We ought to say that and just say it sincerely. Yes, that is such a good point there and a way to close that out. So, I mean, as we talk about the holidays and a way to give and how to show love and compassion, because that's what it's all around, whether you're celebrating Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, they all go to the same things of we want to be treated the way we want to treat others the way we want to be treated. And so one of those ways you can do it is Georgians is with your civic duty and get back out there starting tomorrow until January 1st. You can vote tomorrow, December 14th, until January 1st. If you just can't seem to do it, then on January 5th, please go out and vote, please. Thank you, Aisha. I'll just close, this will be my last point. Uh, as, a, as the vaccine is out there, we know it's in short supply, right? Mm -hmm. And we know it's gonna be in short supply for a while. But again, people need to be aware and conscious and alert and, 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 and say to these elected officials at the state level that when that vaccine comes, we understand that there'll be priorities in terms of the health workers, in right. terms of the essential workers, but we ought not stand back and allow people because of their wealth and because of their celebrity standing that we've seen already, get this vaccine and be quiet about it. Yeah. We ought to raise some hell and say, all those people who are the most vulnerable out there, whether the old people, Hispanic people working in these chicken factories and chicken factories like here in Mississippi, mm -hmm. people that are out there working these trucks and these post offices, these grocery stores, they are central workers. They put their lives yes. on every day. Yes. We all insist, and they all insist, if they want to take this vaccine when it's available, they ought to get access to the vaccine. And these other turkeys who, because they have money and because they're celebrities, ought not be ahead of the line. Yeah, I agree. These are all essential workers, all the ones that dad mentioned. And if they are essential, we treat them as such. I completely, completely agree. Completely. So how can you do that? If you see things happening where it doesn't seem like they're getting what they need, contact your employee, okay? Your employee is your civic servant or your civic leader. So um, when you see something, 
say something. <laughs> As we said before, thank you, Dad, you know, for thank taking you. the time. <laughs> you know, of course, I'll see you for the holidays. So for all of those, this is going to close out probably the end of the year for us. So we ask each one of you all during this time, if you've lost a loved one or you are dealing with something that has happened with COVID, our prayers are going out to you. We support you. We share you love. Practice some of these principles again, Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or Christmas. Just remember that if you do have life right now, that is a blessing um, despite what we've been through this year. And if you feel like the mental strain is on you as one of our podcasts we talked about, seek the mental health that you need because we know that the end of this year sometimes can be a little bit taxed. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Happy holidays to everybody. Stay safe and one love. Yes, be safe, share love. So if you would like to contact us on uh, on our email, go to daddaughterdialogues at gmail.com. That's daddaughterdialogues at gmail.com, especially if you're on Facebook Live here. And let us know how we're doing. We are we also have a Facebook page, Dad Daughter Dialogues. So you can leave a comment there too if there's something that you would like us to talk about. We also have merchandise that if you're on Facebook Live, you can see, but you can go to our Facebook page and click on there and order some of our fabulous fabulous merchandise and also consider being a monthly subscriber if you go to our podcast which is actually on anchor.fm you can be a subscriber because that helps us keep the train going but as always we appreciate you tuning in listening to us on facebook live and remember wherever you are happy holidays and be safe take care everybody this is the love This is the love that makes me strong, yeah. This is the love, this is the love.